Hi everyone, my name is Evan Levine. I am the director of a ministry called Hatikva Project here in Israel, speaking to you this morning from the center of Jerusalem. We believe that we are in a very unique and special period of time that God has ordained for the hearts of the Jewish people and the people of Israel to be softened towards the gospel and to prepare them for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's from Ezekiel 36, where God promises that first he'll bring the Jewish people back physically to the land of Israel, and then he will soften our hearts here, and then he will pour out his Holy Spirit on us. So we believe that we are in the season of Israel's salvation, and Hatikva Project exists to reach out to Israeli society during this special time to both build up the body of believers here and to bring the gospel to the entire nation in unique and effective ways. Right now we have three main ministry emphases. Uh, first is Hatikva Aid, where we give benevolence to families of Israeli believers that are in acute financial crisis. We do that throughout the entire nation, working with many single mothers and widows and orphans. We have a second department called Hatikva Families, and through that we support adoption and foster care in Israel. We support families that adopt and foster. We're doing everything that we can to bring the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, into the field of adoption and foster care. We have an emergency shelter home uh, for orphans that are at-risk children and uh, do many, many things in that area. And we have a third department called Hatikva Dental, uh, which is something the Lord led us to all the way back in 2015 and something that we have partnered with you before through your admin giving, uh, is that we have full service dental clinics where we bring in the needy, we give them the full spectrum of dental care, which is something that they absolutely cannot afford here in Israel. We do it openly and boldly in the name of Jesus, and we make sure that they know that the care they're receiving is because of the love of God and our love for them as Messianic believers in Yeshua. Uh, so that is what we are hoping to be partnering with you again this year. We treat um, upwards of 2,500 to 3,000 patients a year through our dental ministry. Uh, we're the only organization, believing or non-believing, in the entire nation that gives full-scale dental care to the needy. So the, the request for our services is always overwhelming. We always have waiting lists, and uh, we're just so grateful for your partnership in the past and your partnership this year so that we can continue to serve the people of Israel to, to meet their needs specifically their dental needs with excellence and to use that as a bridge to open their hearts to sharing the gospel. So from me and from all of my staff here and all of my team, we just say a very big thank you to Cornerstone Boulder. Thank you to Pastor, Rabbi, Gene, whichever you prefer. And uh, many, many blessings to you from us here in Israel all the way to Boulder, Colorado. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. One of my favorite things about Cornerstone is the fact that we have these amazing times in this room, but that we're connected to partners who are bringing avenues where we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so in this season, one of the things that we do every year is, <clears throat> excuse me, our Advent giving, where we spend less to give more. And we have four recipients, and we just see this is our first one, and that we're able to partner with them to give them resources, prayer, support, but also money to be able to fund the things that they're doing. And they're doing some pretty amazing things, wouldn't you say? Can we get a round of applause for them? There we go, there we go. The way that this works is that we don't, we used to do extra offerings, but what happens is out of our December giving, we actually take that money and it will be, We'll take portions of that money. We'll go to each and every individual. And so we just encourage you that in this season, as it's a time where we're oftentimes spending a lot, 
that we shift from spending less and we give more and that you're generous, that we can support amazing ministries like this that are impacting people spiritually and physically all over the world. With that said, my name is Aaron Wardle, one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity to continue in our Advent series as we are celebrating comfort and joy. And last week, Pastor Brian Carlucci preached on light. I did it, guys. I know you can't see it, but it is just glowing right there. Which one should I go, right or left? All right, I'm going to go right here. And this week, we're going to continue. And this candle just represents the light of the world. And Pastor Brian talked about that last week. And this week, we are moving into the second week of Advent. And I'm going to spend our time together talking about the idea of hope. So we light the candle of hope. And we see that as these candles illuminate, the, the, the light grows, so may our hope grow. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Just as we watch that video, we see what you're doing in places in Israel. And just as we feel your presence in this room, we are grateful that you are good and all that you do is good. Lord, I pray in these moments that we have together that you will do something that you want to do. And so I pray that the things that are of you will stick, the things that of me will be forgotten, and that you will begin to help us to understand what hope is and how we hope. I offer this to you, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Hope's an interesting word, isn't it? It's one in this time of year, it's thrown around, it's used for political slogans, it's used for so many things. But one of the things is as I light this candle and as I look at the flame and I prepared for sermon this week, I began to just realize that hope has kind of lost its meaning. Hope has become many times a synonym for wish, a desire. I caught myself throughout the week how many times I used the word hope, and it was really something like, I hope they have my size in this, or I hope we have this for dinner. Well, I don't know what happens, but I hope it's good. And it becomes less of something that is anticipation and more of just a synonym for a desire that we have. Hope is want. Hope is wish. Hope is desire. But as I look at the scriptures and as I look at the tradition of the Jews and the tradition of Christianity, that there is something much, much, much more about hope. And I want to spend our time today to shift our definition from hope being a wish to hope to be about something more. Is that okay? And so one of the things we look into as, as a, good, uh, a good student, you go into the dictionary and you begin to look, what is the definition of hope? Miriam Webster says, to cherish a desire with anticipation. To want something to happen or to be true. To desire with expectation of attainment or fulfillment. To expect with confidence. There's some good things there. But like I've done before, I sent out a text to some of my friends and I wanted to know, what is your definition of hope? How do you understand hope? And this is what some of them said. Hope is more than wishful thinking. It is an emotion and a posture of confidence about the future. The things will turn out for good, even though not exactly as we plan or imagine. Hope is expectation that something good will happen or that someone will come through for us. Another definition is this. 
<laughs> I love the way he, he wrote this back to me when I said, what's your definition of hope? He said, you know, I think before I had a relationship with Jesus, my definition would have been just wishing for a good outcome to almost everything, almost like a birthday wish. But now, I kind of have an unwavering faith that God has control and that things will work out in his plan. And since he loves me, it will be for my good. Another friend said, hope is expectation, not the possibility of things to come. Hope is the transformation that becomes reality. I receive comfort, peace, and joy, and strength, and perseverance from my hope or assurance that God who is who he says he is. Another friend said this, hope is the tug at your soul that reminds you that God is still at work. Hope is birth in dark seasons. There's some great understanding there. So we look to the scriptures and we move away from just our experience of hope and the definition of hope throughout the English language. We look in and we see some, get some Hebrew and Greek words. That's a good way to understand things from a biblical perspective. And we see that in the Hebrew, yaka, which literally means to expectantly wait. So hope means to wait, that the definition of hope has waiting in it. Another one is kava, which comes from the root word, which means cord. And this verb has to do with the tension of anticipation for waiting for something and the actuality. And so hope is actually, if you'd visualize taking both of your hands, and we've done this before many times, but you place a cord between them, and the tension that is held from your left hand to your right hand, that tension is hope. The anticipation of something and the fulfillment. In the Greek, hope, ellipse. Properly, a proper, properly expectation of what is sure or what is certain. And I think we could stop there to say, okay, those are some good definitions, people's experiences, and a cerebral understanding of that. But as I continue to look at this word hope, which I don't know about you, but it is one of those words that evokes emotion. When you say hope, for some people, it evokes a joy. For other, it evokes sadness. Something hasn't happened. For some, is something will happen. And so what I want to spend our time today is looking and moving from a definition in words to looking at a story in the Gospels as Jesus was presented in the temple. Because I think sometimes with a concept like hope, it's better understood when witnessed than explained. Does that make sense? Have you ever had those things in your life where you go, you know what, it's better, I know it when I see it but it's hard for me to explain. So what I want to do, I want to dive into Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. This is the story of Simeon. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, and now it is time for him to be presented in the temple. Mary has waited this specific time. They are going to make an offering, and they make their way to Jerusalem. And there it says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And the father and mother marveled at these things. Now one of the things is, in this story, there is no Greek or Hebrew word for hope, but I believe it's a powerful example of what the definition and the action of hope looks like. You see, there's this man, Simeon, We've talked about him before, but he is an old man, and it says that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And in that word waiting, it means an active waiting. It isn't just kind of sitting around and saying like, hey, wake me up when the Messiah gets here, but I'm just going to be chilling this whole time. What it is, is it is a watching that he is actively watching for something to happen. He is anticipating. He isn't anxious, but there is an anticipation that something is going to happen. He has an expectancy. And so his life is informed by an expectancy. So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is expectant. He has expectancy. But this consolation of Israel is interesting because what it's talking about is it's talking about the comfort, the help, and the rescue of Israel. And he's waiting for something to happen. But the thing that he is waiting for is that is an example that what they would have been waiting for in the consolation of Israel was more than a change in the political circumstance that Rome would have been overthrown. More than a change in the economic circumstances that there would be less of a bifurcation between the wealthy and the poor. More of a, of a situation to change than people understanding who God is more. What they were waiting for and what he was looking for, that consolation, was actually the coming of the Messiah. And so he was, the comfort that he was seeking was not in a change of circumstances. It was actually in the presence of the Messiah. So we begin to see that for Simeon, Hope is the expectancy in God's presence and his intervention. And there's a shift that begins to happen for me when I look at this. Because as he is waiting for that, and as he is looking to that, he is not just looking for a circumstance to change. He isn't looking for a situation to happen. But what he is looking for, he is actually looking and anticipating actively the presence of God in the circumstances and in the situation. And so there's a shift that begins to occur in our definition of what hope is. No longer is hope for Simeon, I wish things would get better. I hope things would get better. I hope this changed. My desire is for change. But his hope was an expectancy in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And so no longer is it just about the outcome, but it is about God's intervention. We see he says this later on. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. There is nothing in this that says an outcome is changing. Everything it is saying is that God is intervening and that salvation is right there, light is there, and glory is there. And I love this scene because I don't know when in Simeon's life the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Hey, Simeon, you know that promise of the Messiah that we've been talking about? 
since the beginning of creation? You know that one? Well, yes, I do. Hey, buddy, it's going to happen in your lifetime. I don't know how old he was, whether it was later in his years or early in his years, but his life is orbited around to say, oh, my word. There is an anticipation to say, this is going to happen in this time period. Can I give you a silly illustration? Yes, thank you. I have a terrible habit when it comes to Christmas time of searching our Amazon account for what has been purchased. Now, why would I do such a thing? I want to know what they bought me. We have one Amazon account, and I'll go through and see and go, oh, yep, that's what I wanted. The interesting thing about that is that little picture that says, purchased, your order is confirmed, that's a promise that my gift is on the way. Now, that's silly, isn't it? But dial that back to the life of Simeon for a second. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, this is going to happen in your lifetime. I promise you that it is not just going to be about a change in economics, a change in the politics, a change in people's lives, but it's actually going to be the presence of the Messiah in your life. And when the Messiah comes, he will change everything. Do you see the shift in that? It isn't about the circumstances change. It is about the presence of God in the moment who will change the circumstances. And so the promise becomes this confirmation that something is on its way. And Simeon orders his life around that. And hope becomes painfully simple when we begin to shift it from our desires for an outcome to an expectancy for the intervention and the presence of God in a situation. And how does that come? As we look at Simeon, it actually is really simple. It comes through the presence of the Messiah who is Jesus, the promised one, who breaks in on the scene as we celebrate at this Christmas time. I have to confess to you guys, As I studied this and as I looked at this passage, I kept looking for more and going like, okay, it can't be that simple. The definition of hope has to be more complex. I need some neurobiology in here. I need some psychological principles. I need some philosophy. But I kept coming back to the simple fact for Simeon. Simeon's expectancy was in the Messiah, the person of the Messiah. And his life orbited around that, and that became his definition of hope that it wasn't in the change of circumstances. It wasn't in the change of situation to be how we desire. It was actually to be in the presence and the intervention of the Messiah. And so this place begins to go from hope being a wishing well in which we throw our coin in and just let what happened happens to our hope begins this anticipation, this expectation with our eyes open and our hearts open, looking and wondering where will God intervene and be present? And when God intervenes in his presence, the situation, he will bring about the change that is needed. So hope becomes about the person we place it in. With that said, as my mind is shifting in that and realizing that a definition for hope for me becomes this idea 
that hope is an active anticipation of the intervention in the presence of God. How do we foster hope? How do we foster that experience and that anticipation? And I want to go over a few things for us that I believe that are in this story. And we see that though hope is this anticipation of the interaction and presence of God, we see that hope is rooted in a promise. When Simeon, in his life, we see within this passage, we see that there's two promises that he is rooting his life in. He is tethering his life in, in two things. The anticipation is tethered around two promises. First, that the Messiah will come, because God said it's going to happen. Second, that the Messiah is going to come in his lifetime. And so instead of hope just being this something that you throw out and say, I don't have any control, and it is formed by our fickle desires, hope becomes something that is defined and it is fueled by the word and the promises of God. Simeon says, and it is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. We look into Proverbs, and there's a famous passage, and how many of you heard this? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Can I get a witness on that one? Anybody use that? Anytime something we wish, desire doesn't happen, my heart's sick, Lord. Hope deferred is not good for me. When studying this passage and looking at it, one of the things that is beautiful about it is this word hope is waiting. It isn't wish, and the word deferred actually means to scatter something. It's untethered. So expectation that is untethered makes us sick. Expectation that comes solely from our desires, solely from our wishes, solely for a change in circumstances is like scattering seed onto cement. It's not gonna take root. But when we're able to take our expectancy for something and tether it to the promises of God, what he has said in his word, what he has said through the whisper of his Holy Spirit, what he has said through Jesus, We begin to take our hope, and no longer is it just scattered to change and scattered to wishes. It begins rooted in something that has a source to make it happen. So we tether our expectancy to the promises of God. When we do that, the hope that we have is guided by something and grounded by something that can actually make the thing that we are wanting happen. And so hope is rooted in a promise. The next thing we see that hope is fueled by, hope is encouraged with precedent. I gotta be careful because so many times I spelled that president. We're not gonna talk about that right now. Either side, let's just leave that alone. Hope is encouraged with precedent. In the life of Simeon, as we look in here and we imagine in his life a man who for years has been waiting and watching and looking for something to happen, do you think that there would be days of doubt in going, is this really going to happen? There were times what he needed to do is he brings that pact to a root, a promise, to look at the places where God has been faithful and fulfilled his word in the past. And so hope is fueled by precedent. We begin to look and say, where has God done this in the past? Where have I seen God's faithfulness in the past that he will fulfill this? And so Simeon would look at the life of Abraham and Sarah, the promises that God had to them. 
Look at the life of Moses in Exodus. Look at the life of David. Look at the life of Esther. Look at the life of the prophets. Look at the places where he said he would return the people. All of those times where he is in a situation saying, my promises for the future, he looks to the precedent of the past, and it gives him energy for expectancy. Because sometimes our hope deferred does make our hearts sick. And we bring that back to the promise and we look to those precedents, and we allow our hope to begin to billow up, our expectancy to move to anticipation instead of anxiety. So hope is rooted in a promise. Hope is encouraged with precedent. And hope invites participation. I love that God sets up the relationship with humanity from the very beginning that there is to be participation between the divine and humanity. That in everything he does, there is a partnership between God and us. And so we see that hope is fueled by participation. Simeon, it says that he is devout, which means he's obedient to God. That his hope is fueled by the fact that he daily would be in the Torah. He daily was practicing the prayers, that his life was in line with the will of God. It says that he was righteous. His outer life and the way that he act was in line with God. And then we see that there is this action in which he is so much on the hunt and the participation that his walking is informed by where the Spirit is leading. It says that one day he was led in the Spirit into the temple. Now, I love this because if he didn't go into the temple on that day, he doesn't see the Messiah, the baby Jesus, who's only a few weeks old. But that there is a participation that his life is orbited around the ways and the will of God. There's an expectancy in his intervention, and he participates through his heart and also his behavior. He walks in there, and he sees the child that has been promised. And I love, could you just imagine this scene? That there's this old man. Imagine you walk into a place where you're having to, like, I don't know what ritual we would be doing. But this old guy just grabs your baby and lifts it up in the air and starts crying with joy. Like, that's one of the things you're like, excuse me, sir, get your hands off my child. He's the Messiah, I know. But Simeon comes up, and in the participation, in that anticipation for the intervention and the presence of God, he comes into this place, and his participation is now there is this release, and he grabs the baby, and he holds it, and he says, I've seen salvation. This is the light to the Gentiles and the glory to Israel. And there is joy, and the parents are like, this is creepy and amazing, all in one moment. In Proverbs 13, 13, which I'll let you know is actually after Proverbs 13, 12, it says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandments will be rewarded. This is this action again. There is a participation that when God promises us something, we align our expectancy for his interaction and his presence in the promise he has made. And that roots us to something stronger than just our wishes and our desires. And then we look to the precedent and we're fueled by that. And then we're able to activate that hope in our life through our participation. What we are doing is we're not despising the promises God has made or his intervention, but we're revering it. 
And that activation of those things that we can do while we're waiting for the thing to happen that we desire or that God has promised is the participation. Rooted in a promise. Encouraged with precedent. Invites participation. And this final point, it demands patience. This is my least favorite point. Hope demands patience. How do I know that? Because the very word hope means to wait. It means to wait. It's an act of waiting, but that there's a submission in the patience. And one of the things that we do is we begin to look at the life of Simeon because I'm going to read through the lines of the text, but something happens with the fact that he has to be patient for the coming of the Messiah. It purifies his expectancy by purging his expectations. What do I mean by that? What I have found in my life is when there are things that I believe God has promised and I see precedent and I'm participating in, When I have to wait for that, that waiting becomes like a refining fire to purify my expectancy to what is God's will, not just my wishes. There is nothing like waiting to cause our desires to be exposed and need to be purged and God's will to need to be elevated. Have you experienced that before in your life? That as you're waiting for something and then you realize, oh my word, I realize that I'm actually waiting for this to happen in a very, very, very specific way. And the fact that it hasn't happened in my timing and in my way, God, we're going to have some words. But patience begins to do something. It begins to purify our expectancy to align us with the promises of God and the things that have been precedent instead of our own sometimes sinful and selfish desires. Not always, but sometimes that's what they are. And God is saying, I'm going to have you wait, and I'm going to purify your expectancy so that you're in line with me, not just yourself. Hope is such an interesting word because we throw it around in so many different circumstances. It becomes the synonym for wish. It becomes the synonym for desire. But as I look at the story of Simeon, it's way bigger and way more simple. Hope is an active expectancy in the presence and intervention of God. And the way that we're able to fuel that is by rooting it to his promises by looking to the precedent, by participation, and by, patient, and by patience. What I want to do in this time is I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I want to move into its prayer time. Because basically I've just told you a story and pulled out a few things from it. You're welcome. But what I encourage you to do is I encourage you to read Luke 2, 25 through 35. And I begin, and I ask that as you light the candle today of light and you light the candle of hope, that you'll begin to go, Lord, will you begin to show me what hope really looks like? 
And we'll begin to shift it away from just these wishes and these desires. That, Lord, will you begin to cause hope to be something that is absolutely profound. That it is an active expectancy. An active confidence. An active anticipation of your intervention. So what I invite you to do right now is we have some time. In the quiet of this place, just close your eyes. What is something you're hoping for? What is something you're hoping for? Now what I invite you to do is the Holy Spirit is present here. I invite you in this moment to just surrender that to the Lord. Lord, this is what I've been hoping for. If you need to open up your hands and uh, like hand it to him, do what you got to do. And now with your hands open, Would you take this situation, this, this circumstance, and would you now say, I move from my desires, and then would you just ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to anticipate your presence and your intervention in this situation? Lord. I'm expectant that you will intervene in this. I release the outcome and I invite your presence. And now as you're in this place, I'm just going to pray this over you. Lord, I pray for my friends. If you're in this place and you, you see something or you feel something strongly, just open up your hands. I want to pray this blessing over you. I pray right now that as we shift from wishes to true hope, Lord, you will root that in your promises. I pray that you will make your word alive to see how you, what you are going to do.
And I pray that you will bring about precedence so that they can stand strong. I pray that you may find in the most surprising ways examples of how God has done this in the past that encourage your expectancy. And now I pray that God will show you how to participate. What's your side of things to do as he is doing what he, only he can do? And I pray right now. I pray for energy as you are patient. And that you allow the Lord to purify the expectancy and purge the expectation. Lord, will you teach us how to be a people of hope? And in this final blessing, friends, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words, and I love it. I love it. He said in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame. I confess, sorry, I've got a chatty for a second. I confess sometimes I'm embarrassed when I hear a promise of God and say, you want me to anticipate that? That seems out of control. That seems, it's literally out of control, and it seems like you're just going to embarrass me if this doesn't happen. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. The expectancy and the intervention and presence of God in your life in a situation, that will not put you to shame. And this is why. Because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. That fuel is the love of God that ignites the hope to expect in his intervention. And finally, I bless you with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, which is the active expectancy and the presence and intervention of God. Amen.